Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, BLM Brandon held a uh, presser yesterday to... uh, unveil the new unity initiative in the city that's being led i guess by faith-based institutions churches more than a dozen churches partnering with the city to provide uh, shelter for migrants per three hundred fifty thousand dollars in private donor money that uh, this consortium received and he was asked uh do you want to place limits on the flow of migrants from other cities and states. Would you want to place any limits on that? That was the question. Normal. And it prompted this response. Well, it has to be better coordination. You know, what we've seen is a very raggedy form um, instituted by right-wing extremism. Um, Everyone knows that the right-wing extremism in this country has targeted democratically ran cities. And quite frankly, uh, they've been very intentional about going after democratically ran cities that are led by people of color. And their whole motivation is to create disruption and chaos because that's what this, that particular party has been about. Right? This is the same political party that did not want to accept that President Obama was actually an American. It's the same Republican right-wing extremism that stormed the Capitol. It's the same right-wing extremism that refuses to accept the results of the Civil War. It's raggedy. It's disrespectful. It's mean-spirited. It's an unclean spirit, quite frankly. And so, so I got you. I got you. I just want to make sure that people understand what we're facing. That's why it's so important that the faith community is leaning in in this moment. And so what, what I've said, there has to be better coordination. It is abysmal, and it's an affront for everything that is good about this country, for the extremism in this country to use people as political tools to settle political scores for something that happened 400 years ago. They're still mad that a black man is free in this country. Three one two. Unclean spirits be gone. <laughs> Three one two. Out six, unclean four. spirits. God. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA. Then a quick comment. There's so much to unpack there, Dan. I don't even know. I mean, does he know that Democrats were the ones who didn't accept the Civil War outcome? First of all, um, and. We're, I know we're in MAGA country. I don't know where the Asandario brothers are right now, but uh, we'll, we'll track them down to make sure. But clearly, Brandon Johnson is now on the Democratic email blast list that people, you know, like Pritzker and Governor Newsom have been getting for, for years. So he made the list. This is just an, an extension of the yeah. uh, race hustle that Lightfoot played before him. It's just one race hustler after another. Um, the original question, uh, would you want to place some limits on the flow of migrants from other cities and states? 
Yeah. So is that a no? Is that a yes? <laughs> I, I can I just get an answer to the question? Yeah, I got it. Uh, uh, Republicans in far off places don't accept that the results of the Civil War are upset that uh, you're uh, a free black man and so on and so forth. Uh, but anyway, could you answer my question? That's how it has to be treated. I mean, there's no point in the moral indignation. It is so beyond silly that it really doesn't merit comment. The, the best thing that you could do, if you remember the press corps, is just return to the question. So, so, so yes, <laughs> no, um, because, because it, it is interesting. I mean, I'm just trying to get your policy views down. I understand what your views are of people who disagree with you. I got that. But what is your policy view? What is your policy position? Should uh, Chicago continue to accept any and all who come from anywhere, anytime? Is that the policy? Or is the policy that you would like to coordinate better euphemism with these uh, with places that are moving people who want to go to Chicago up to Chicago? Um, does that mean limit? Does that mean you'd like to do what... Uh, what is actually being done, which is move people from Chicago to other places. The same thing that governors Abbott and DeSantis, and DeSantis did that you decried. And now you and Pritzker are in the business of doing the same thing. I'm just trying to get uh, the philosophy behind the policy down here. Right. I mean, the whole you you really want to respond, spend time uh, doing chapter and verse an American history with BLM Brandon. Mm-hmm. You really want to ha- address the raggedy creating chaos. I mean, I see all the responses. The Republicans don't have any power in Chicago and they haven't in a hundred. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, you think this is a discussion on the merits? No, he's with just this guy baiting lunatic. It just, it, it pisses me off though. When I said, I'm like, come on, just stop. And he's so cocky and he's just so in over his head. And he, I mean, the fact that they voted him in just, Still makes me sick to my stomach. He knows what works, and that's what everybody in Chicago knows. And so why wouldn't you continue using what you think works until it's made clear that it doesn't? Because I, I think the Democrats, uh, the Democrats are getting scared. I mean, they're, this line of, of bull jive. I mean, the migrant crisis is they're his getting... fault since they wanted to be a sanctuary city. What are they afraid of? I think that... they're getting scared. What are they afraid of? I just think more black people are talking up about Biden. They don't like his policy. I mean, Cardi B made a video for the Lord, love of God. Well, 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 but what does that have to do with Brandon Johnson? I mean, yeah, because he wants he, a Democrat in the yeah. White House, but he, he's not running scared in Chicago. Nobody's I'm running scared in Chicago. Level, I just think that they're yeah, but it, the national national level is not his concern. His concern is city and state level. Yeah, but he gets uh, they, they have all the same talking points. Right wing extremism. Is the reason for this, and the the white I, I know man's trying to take down black-run democratic cities? I, I, I know what the talking point is. What what I what I'm unclear of is why you think that Brandon Johnson is afraid of something. What, what's he afraid the tides of? Are turn, I think that he's afraid of Trump, and he has been told. This is conjecture on my part. He has been told, like other black Democrats who are running cities, to hammer home MAGA country right wing extremism. Extremism is bad, and it's here. And yeah, but that's, that's not that's not that's not him being afraid. That's him scaremongering for the purpose of of advancing the interests of his party. That's not being afraid. Though the whole thing, like I'm afraid, I'm doing this out of fear, is very different than I'm doing this as part of a purposeful strategy. 
That's why I just I don't you have to defend this idea that somebody's running scared here as opposed to executing something in a purposeful manner. Greg in Hyde Park here in Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, good people. I as a black man born and raised here in Chicago, it's frankly embarrassing that um, there seems to be no will to learn the truth. Uh, Democrats have had their way with black people since FDR. And um, to see that we have come so far and yet have no idea that we as a people are being exploited. Useful pawns, I could use a stronger word, but useful pawns for the Democrat Party. Anybody with half a brain knows that it was the Democrat Party that was willing to die to keep black people in play. And now we vote for them? Really? Thank you for your time. Well, Greg, hey, hold on a second. Let me ask you a question. What, what do you think uh, Brandon Johnson is doing and why, and why he's doing it? I think he's a useful idiot. He's a pawn. Uh, he's been positioned as a gatekeeper for um, the Democrat Party. None of this makes sense. And when you politicize common sense, you get stupid. And his response to that question, there's no other way to look at that answer as being stupid. Good analysis. Thanks for the call, Greg. I like that. When you politicize common sense, you get stupid. You get stupid. That should, that's a T-shirt worthy phrase. That's the Jordan, quote of the day. Right. Jordan and Forest Park. Yeah. You know, uh, governing is hard. It's hard. And he's realizing now this is really hard. So uh, he's almost he he went back to a campaign rhetoric speech. It was a campaign speech. That's what I thought. That's what I that's what I heard. You know, as mayor of Chicago, this migrant crisis and what it's not my fault. It's not right. my fault. It's criticism of my policies that are causing the problem. And uh, you know, this uh, uh, AM five six of the answer. You know, this, your show is causing my problems as the mayor of Chicago. You know, you have to stop. Thanks you know, so this, is what, this is what this was all – that's what this was all about. It was a deflection. It's not my fault. Right. Thanks for the call, Jordan. Right. This is uh, outside agitators instigating chaos. That's the line of attack. So we're being besieged, and this is a rally-around-the-flag moment. I mean, that's the, that's the political positioning, of course. Right. While he's begging for funds and help from local churches. Karen and Beecher. Paging Frank from Arlington Heights for a personal history lesson yes. for BLM Brandon. Paging, I mean, how many times do I got to do it? And Dan, I think the reason, I, I'm, I'm kind of sort of thinking he's a little bit like Joe Biden. He don't know what he's doing. He's just reading from the script of Tony, Tony Preckwinkle. And every other um, button pusher, puppet master uh, in the city of Chicago. 
Thanks for the call, Karen. Yeah, we got tons of text messages. Here's one. Uh, Dan and Amy, that was the word salad of word salads from a former CPS teacher. He's reaching for every excuse for his own failures. Well, don't don't forget, he wasn't really big on homework. Probably that, because oh, that's he, right, he didn't want to have to grade it. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance. Arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. uh, Two stories we uh, poured over yesterday that uh, experienced some developments after our program yesterday. That was uh, Hinsdale South the uh, basketball player whose mom sued the school to have him reinstated after he was cut, and that Kansas City Chiefs fan that was uh, targeted by a deadspin goof for, quote-unquote, wearing blackface to the Chiefs game. So let's start with uh, Hinsdale South and the uh, story of Brendan Savage. The story is his mom sued the school district and, of course— on advice of counsel, the school district relented and has reinstated Brendan Savage on the men's basketball team there. Yeah, and last night when they played Glenbard South, uh, he was sitting behind the players. Actually, he looked like a water boy, and he looks like a man compared to kids on the bench, if you saw the video. Take it easy, Mrs. Robinson. Well, I mean, give me a break. So, And half the crowd was wearing We Want Savage Back t-shirts. So his mom, Erin, they spoke to Channel 5 yesterday, and uh, they they have, what, six kids, and they've played 31 varsity sports, and this kid was all-conference sophomore year, junior year. I found out through people that he's a juggernaut. I mean, when other people and the teams in the conference found out he didn't make the team, they were shocked because, again, he scored 37 points against Proviso last year. So, so here's but who's counting? Okay, th- there you go. This was just eye-opening, like, what's going on? This didn't make sense. Yeah. It was substantiated. They did find that he was um, didn't measure up to the high standards of the district, which doesn't explain why he's still allowed to coach at any level. So that, they're talking about Coach Mor- Morietti, last year's varsity coach, who apparently was bullying um, this kid Savage, and the parents made a filed a complaint. Uh, he not, was not, 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 uh, not, 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 not apparently, allegedly, and they did not substantiate the coach for, quote-unquote, bullying, but they 
in their mealy mouth way that a Hinsdale school district would do it, said, well, we'll give you a he didn't live up to the professional, high professional standards we set for our staff. And so he's demoted, apparently. And then Belcaster, the current varsity coach, is instituted, and Belcaster is the one who cut Savage. Right. But and they the were... argument is that was it. So let's just get our facts straight. And so the argument is that was in retaliation for the parents filing the complaint against the previous coach. Right. But they were told and they have a letter stating that there would be no retaliation. We have a letter from the superintendent from last year stating there will be no retaliation. It won't be tolerated. And yet this there was no other explanation, particularly after we talked to the coach. It's well, clear that they're, well, you know, this this was retaliation. The coach from last year is getting getting the last word on this. Um, there's no doubt about it, especially when you can't give a, a reason. Well, what, what, well, excuse me, if I can get in here uh, with the hyperventilating going on. Um, what was the conversation with the coach then if they spoke with him? I don't what did the coach know. say? Oh, we don't know because NBC5 doesn't ask the obvious follow-up question. We spoke with the coach, really? Well, what was that conversation like? What did he say? Clearly, it was retaliation based on what? What, 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 do we, what more do we know about uh, this situation than we knew yesterday when we talked about this in right, terms well, of the relationship going on? I, I, I don't know. know what the exact allegation is of abuse. But the dad is now saying that as a coach, you can't abuse your power and take it out on my son when we have this letter saying that you're not going to retaliate. You can't abuse your power as a coach and a teacher and harass, bully, retaliate against kids. That just can't be tolerated. And you can't do that and not have a consequence. It's not fair to the kids that might be coming through Hinsdale South in the future. That, the, that coach needs to be removed. We're doing it for the future of Hinsdale South basketball. Okay, sure. Um, what was the evidence of retaliation? We do not know. No one is disclosing oh. that. Oh, and that, and, and so he's allowed to say, and then we were just supposed to repeat what he said, but we don't have to. Okay, so so he's there. What relationship was did he have with Belcaster? What relationship did he have with Moretti, including after the incident? And then so what happened? How do you know it was retaliation? You're making an allegation, but that has to be substantiated. From what well, I, I guess heard it from doesn't. My I guess it doesn't. It's a toxic toxic coaching community what does that mean South. what does that mean your sources toxic just more more uh fun words to throw out to describe things generally so we don't have to do make wanna... we don't have to present specific findings toxic do you want to know what a jag bag coach bellcaster is yeah tell me okay so yesterday there's two reporters one from the sun times and another name of what's it uh michael o'brien they both talked to him after the game like you know Common questions, because he didn't play yesterday. He was dishing out high fives and, you know, being a good team bench player or whatever. Wasn't in uniform. So they said, how are you going to integrate him into the team on for Friday night's game against Donald's Grove South? He cups his ears, Dan, like a little bit. Cups his ears like, I read what? the Sun-Times story. Leans in. I can't hear you. What? What, what happened to your sources? You. What happened to your sources? I, I read the Sun-Times story. Yeah, I saw. I read that too. So what? That's, come on. Come on what? And then you have another reporter asking another question. Like, I, I can't hear Come you. On. And then he walks away. So, so maybe he doesn't think he's going to be treated fairly by reporters. Maybe he doesn't want to say anything on the record because of the litigious environment in the, in the, uh, in the school. Maybe he should have said something to that effect. I don't know. But, but I, I still, that's, that still doesn't tell me anything about the underlying facts in this case, does it? 
I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened. What was this toxic culture of? No, you're not. No, you're not. You're oh. celebrating that he's back on. The, t- let's be honest about what you're doing. You're celebrating that he's back on this team because the the players and some of the kids at the school wore t-shirts and and the, no, and mom and so- dads and mom and dad said it was retaliatory and this unnamed source you had said it's a toxic environment and so you're you're not trying to find out anything. You're celebrating the outcome and you're suggesting that the coaches are are bullying or worse the players at Hinsdale South, both the previous one and the current one. That's what you're I'm actually doing. celebrating that an accomplished athlete who was on varsity and started as a sophomore and junior is back playing basketball, back doing what he loves. But you have no idea what the underlying relationship I, is I, or well, the facts are. I make phone are. calls. I'm trying to find out, Dan. Yeah, That's all right. I can tell you. When I do, yeah. I will tweet it out yeah. let you know. Um, uh, so uh, should Corey Perry's parents sue the Blackhawks? That's it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pronounce line, 64636DA, turnkey.protect line. I want Corey Perry back on the Blackhawks. I have no idea what he did that uh, was violative of his contract. It apparently didn't involve other players. But um, I like him on the Blackhawks. He's a great athlete because, obviously, he's playing professional hockey. And I want him black on the Blackhawks because I do. So I'm going to get together some of my friends, season ticket holders. We're going to put on T-shirts that say, mm-hmm. we want Corey back. And uh, I'm going to get Corey's parents to say he's uh, been bullied and he's been treated unfairly. We'll file a a, B, a bull jive First Amendment suit in uh, federal district court here, and let's get Corey Perry back in the blackness. We have no the idea what eight year old man. I don't care. We have we have mother. we have no idea what he did. Where was that? He allegedly did what? Slept with one of the rookies' moms. Really? Where's that? Where's that been reported? That was, or is that one of your unnamed sources? Where's that been reported? Um, they, in the statement, in the statement by the team, engaged in conduct unacceptable in violation of both the terms of his standard players' contract and Blackhawks' internal policies. It did not have anything to do with any other player. Right, because it would be a player's well, a player's mom. I, I, I all I read was they had this two-game road trip where moms were invited. Mm-hmm. And something transpired, and now he's not on the team anymore. But he's not a kid. He's not a kid like... Uh, Brendan Savages. This is a 38-year-old man. Well, so what does that have to do with it? We're talking about the standards by which uh, decisions are made, who's in charge, and who gets to make the call, not to mention the underlying facts of a specific incident that would support uh, a judgment call or not support a judgment call. That's what we're talking about. What, I, I'll get Fine. Then Hinsdale South, I'll give you an example. Uh, Hinsdale South, what do they got, 12 or 15 kids on the team? 17 now. Okay, so 17 kids. So the, the kid who was number 18 and got cut, uh, I want to get to, I don't know his name, um, I want to get uh, kids together and say, we want number 18 back, and he's better than number 15 or number 12, and here, here are the stats, and here's what other players say about him. He's actually better than the 15th ranked kid on the team, and so he should be on the team and the 15th ranked kid shouldn't be on the team. Should that you want to litigate that? Cuz he's a great athlete. That's all you care. that's all you but you just said he's a great athlete. He's playing basketball again. Well, number 18 is a better basketball player than number 15, I argue, with the same sort of evidence that's presented here. So why shouldn't the parents of number 18 litigate the case to get number 18 on the team instead of number 15 because he's a demonstrably better player? And then we could all celebrate that the best 17 players are on the Hinsdale South team as opposed to what we have now where that's not the case.
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Brendan Savage still isn't on the Max Preps varsity roster yet, so I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm sorry, are you going to comment on my hypothetical? Would you support no, that? I'm, I just don't think anybody is probably as good as Brandon Savage. I mean, Brendan Savage is Brendan his name, Savage. but, but what, is, what does this good mean? Uh, all conference this is, this, being on varsity, sophomore, junior. So this is a uh, so so what so because he's the best player on the team. This the, he's held to a different standard. So well, if you're the number one player, vote for coaches. Put other coaches put people on the team. So if he was, you know, a other conceded, coaches put people on the no, team. No, I'm sorry, an all star, excuse me, all conference. Like it's so a, what? It's a vote. So I'm so saying, so, if he so was, say, so say, so say people know about that. But he so didn't. what? So say he's on the say he's the best player on the team. He's the best player on the team. Well, uh, number 18 who got cut is better than number 15. I argue. And so shouldn't number 18 be on the team instead of number 15 because he's better? Just like Brandon should be on the Brendan should be on the team because he's better than everybody else on the team. How is that any different? So you would support number the parents of number 18 litigating that if I could make a case for number 18 over number 15 on the he team, was right? He retaliated against because he was sticking up for himself. Uh, you, except you just conceded you don't know that. But now you're saying it as fact. I'm saying something happened. There, There is an accusation. Right, something happened. Bullying, and, and you don't know what it is, but you're going to assume lawsuit. it's fact. I, I, we know what the facts are, and we know what we don't know. In terms of the facts, but you're just assuming them for the sake of argument because you don't want to answer my hypothetical, do you? Right. Phil in Maryville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, uh, Dan, uh, I want to agree with you. They're basically saying the coaches are guilty until proven innocent. I mean, it doesn't matter how good the kid was. There's multitudes of reasons uh, why he could have been, uh, you know, cut. But he's guilty till uh, proven innocent, just like Trump. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Phil. Jim in LaGrange. Trump doesn't run away he from did. reporters. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's the real crime is running away from a reporter. No, just... Oh, heavens. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Hi, Amy. Amy, so, I, I, Dan, I've been a, a high school coach for about eight years at some of your favorite places and in a different sport. But here's what I will tell you. There, I agree with you, Dan. There is way more going on behind the scenes than any of us can imagine because – just from my experience, and Amy, you can back this up, if you've got a two-time all-conference player, that school and that program and that coach are featuring that kid like nobody's business. Right, you, you design your offenses kid. around that well, player. Well, no, 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 more than that. They're talking about that kid in terms of all state. He's getting recruited by XYZ schools. This is the place to go to to play basketball. Don't go to another school. Come here. So for, for, for that to be thrown aside and this kid to not even make the team to get cut, there is much more going on behind the scenes because obviously that kid's talented. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for the call, Jim. And why weren't the coaches fired? If it's so toxic, if this is retaliatory, if they're so venal, if uh, this is otherwise uh, a um, wonderful young man who's a consummate team player, and I have no knowledge that he isn't, I don't know, uh, and uh, there's nothing uh, here afoot other than the parents' complaint uh, about uh, whatever coarse language or something that uh, uh, was from the previous coach in the direction of their son, then why wouldn't Hinsdale South just uh, 
man up in the best interest of everybody. Everybody on the team, everybody in the school district, let's just get rid of the coaches. If it's that, it's so obvious. Hmm. Those are questions we don't have to ask when we're part of the lynch mobs that run around uh, following NBC5's reporting around. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hi, you guys. Um, so I play volleyball, Amy. I think we've talked about this as a freshman at OPRF. I made the JV team. <clears throat> I'm five foot three, you know, I, uh, and they put me on JV. I felt like I was being groomed to get up, you know, into um, the varsity team at some point because I was really good. But um, I sat on the bench and I didn't get to play and I was kind of bummed out the whole season because who wants to be a bench warmer, you know? So I didn't, the very last practice of the season, freshman year, I um, didn't go to, I still get upset about it. <laughs> I didn't go to the practice. I got kicked off the team. I was told well, I can't go to the go to practice. And if you want to start, I had to be better. I, I, know. I broke the rule. I broke the rule. But, you know, I broke the rule. That's for sure, Amy. You know, that's why I got kicked off. But there was no, I went to the coach and I said, what, what's the point of me being here? You know, I... It's the last practice. We won state. I'm a freshman. Can I please go somewhere else? And she said no. So I said, you know, go, I, I, I have to work. I have a job in LaGrange. I'm going to go do it. I was babysitting. I was going to make 100 bucks. I was going to go babysit. And she didn't care. And then I didn't care. And you know what happened? I quit. I never went back. I, I could have played volleyball, but it really, you know, yeah, it, that was a, a toxic lesson. program. You want to go back? Oh, life! Here. Oh, this is a life lesson. Oh, well, no, well, Mary Kay. Practice to Mary go Kay, to work. That's Mary Kay. Sue, no, no, no. Sue OPRF. I, I think the right. statute. Had, the statute probably has mom run, and dad. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even tell my mom and dad. I just went home and said, "I'm going to Lagrange to babysit." I'll. Uh, my parents were like, "Good, see you around." <laughs> you know, they didn't sue. They didn't. You know, there was nothing to sue about. I mean, it, it was a toxic environment. They had two coaches over there, Redmond and Miklos, who oh um, inherited. Oh, they inherited. Now we're really getting into the weeds here. Yeah. Well, forget it. They inherited a really, really good team, and my parents could have gone back and accused them of discrimination for lots of reasons, other you know that I'm not going to explain. But my point is, this kid doesn't have, until you find out all the details, Amy, there is no, um, I think Dan's right, you need to get a lot more information before uh, this kid, I didn't, you know, I didn't even try to get reinstated because I knew I was so wrong, but, um, you know, you need more information. Yes, Amy, absolutely. Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. I'm going to call you no practice, Mary Kay. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local, family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. 
So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, If you thought the uh, Twitter files were explosive, then um, wait till... We get a full accounting because it's not here yet, but it's coming of the Cyber Threat Intelligence League. The uh, ostensible beginnings or certainly the ramping up of the censorship industrial complex in reaction specifically to two events, Brexit and then Trump's election. This is such a huge deal. And uh, I don't understand why Republicans aren't paying more attention. This this uh, using disinformation under the auspices of preventing disinformation, censorship and the government outsourcing uh, censorship they can't legally do to private entities that also cannot legally do it as agents of the federal government. But it's happening anyway, and it's been happening for a lot longer than we think. And apparently, with a lot more power players involved than we initially thought. Some of that came out in the Twitter files, but that's just Twitter. It's much bigger. And it really gets into election rigging, as we have talked about it on this show, uh, thanks in part to the work of Mike Benz, former State Department official in the cyberspace area during the Trump administration. And I caught up with Benz for my latest episode of Counterculture, my podcast. And I asked him, why didn't the Trump administration, you know, in the furtherance of draining the, draining the swamp, why didn't anybody in the Trump administration that should have a sensitivity to these things that were up against and rallying against, sometimes publicly, the quote-unquote deep state, why didn't they catch what was going on between state agencies Uh, cutouts in the private sector and Twitter. And now I would add this. This just broke yesterday. Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi. We'll get to them in a second. This cyber threat intelligence league. I would add. How did uh, Trump's people not pick up on this and bring it public? That that period and some of what we saw there in terms of the beginnings of of next phase uh, manipulation of information. Did we miss something else during that period that turned out to be critical when they took it next level? That was missed at the White House level. Uh, I was screaming about it pretty much every day, uh, you know, for the past seven years. I mean, this was all available for anyone with eyes to see open source. If you were in the right place at the right time, they were having these conversations openly that is the 
um, the the blob apparatchiks, the folks from the Pentagon, the State Department, and the IC talking about the need to stop domestic mis and disinformation as early as 2017, uh, you know, with that first term. In fact, um, it was in February 2017, just one month into Trump's uh, Trump's term, that the Atlanta Council began its social media censorship world tour. The Atlanta Council gets annual funding from the, from all four branches of the U.S. military, you know, the Air Force, the, the Navy, the, the Army, and the Marines. It gets funding from the State Department. It gets funding from CIA cutouts like the National Endowment for Democracy. It has seven former CIA chiefs on its board of directors. But it was threatened by the Trump administration because it had a private uh, cooperation agreement with Burisma, the Biden family's uh, natural gas company, essentially, uh, if you will, in in Ukraine. And they were threatened by Trump's foreign policy, potentially um, cutting off oxygen to the uh, ongoing coup that the Pentagon and the UK Foreign Office were waging in Ukraine. Uh, if you remember, the 2019 impeachment of Trump was also a Pentagon CIA affair. It was a Pentagon official in the form of, of uh, Vindman, and it was a CIA uh, guy in the, in, the, in the form of Eric Ciamarella that, orchest- that orchestrated in cahoots with a State Department cabal with uh, uh, Yovanovitch and those folks to and George Kent to, to pull off that, that impeachment. I mean, everything that that Trump was under threat by was around this foreign policy blob that was the architect of the censorship infrastructure we now have. And this is a really important point. Most people think of domestic censorship as being controlled by domestic organizations. It's not. I mean, they they may be parked domestically, but these are globalist organizations. These are foreign policy organizations, organizations like the Atlantic Council I just mentioned, or like Graphica, which is a Pentagon cutout, which which is part of that election integrity partnership you mentioned, or like Stanford University, which is run by Michael McFaul, the, the Obama's ambassador to Russia, and uh, which is run at the operational level by Renee DiResta, who started her career in the CIA. It is all the foreign-facing Department of Dirty Tricks who is who is controlling domestic operate uh, controlling domestic censorship. This is exactly what Eisenhower warned about in the 50s and 60s. It's what Truman, who set up the CIA, warned about after he left office when he wrote an op-ed saying that if he had, if he know, knew the CIA would end up this way, he would have never created it. He would have never signed it by pen stroke. We empowered this blob to do dirty tricks abroad, to overthrow governments and to rig media ecosystems on every plot of dirt in the world. The whole catch was it was never supposed to come home. And now not only has it come home, it has built a beaver dam. It has built a bird's nest. Uh, it is declared a permanent home. And if it's not stopped now, we're never going to stop it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 6463-6DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, I, I don't know that there's uh, a more serious domestic threat than what Ben's just described. Yeah, but why do you think the Republicans aren't talking about the Cyber Threat Intelligence League? I assume many of them don't know about it. I assume some of them are compromised and they're part of that blob oh. that uh, Ben's is talking about. Uh, that certainly happens in D.C. I mean, the Republican Party doesn't come to the table with pristine hands on this. And, um, and you know, and, and all of the other more uh, easy to explain, more sort of binary 
issues that people can pontificate over. This is a little bit more involved. This is a little bit more complicated. you got to keep track of a lot of uh, players. You need almost like a mob family org chart here when you're talking about the Election Integrity Partnership, which we've talked about before. That included, it was run through sort of Stanford University, but you heard Ben's talking about it. Graphica, Pentagon Cutout, the Atlantic Council. These organizations are all funded in some form or fashion by the federal government and were acting, and this is what's central to that Missouri v. Biden case um, before the Supreme Court, that were doing things and they admit this is part of the Twitter files investigation. They admit they were doing things they knew were of dubious constitutionality at the behest of federal agencies like DHS, Homeland Security, that couldn't do the curing misinformation, the curing alleged misinformation with real misinformation. In other words, curing things that they disagreed with, whether it was on COVID or the Biden family, with actual misinformation. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro text line. You could also reach us all morning long on our text line six four six three six. Type in D A. Then a quick comment. We got one already. What are they going to do in twenty twenty four? Is that election going to be safe? Well, this is the point. This is why That's Ben's right. and 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 Taibbi and Schellenberger and other Twitter files journalists are detailing all of this and putting all of this out for public consumption and. The public needs to start consuming it at a faster rate and really uh, internalizing what's happening here. Uh, I, you know, I'm not one given to conspiracy theories or, you know, hysterics about end times. But I mean, this is this is fundamental, fundamental threat. And it is coming from inside the house. And uh, and again, look, Schellenberger and Taibbi, who are both men of the left, we've had them both on the show. They're both men of the left, and neither one's a Trump supporter or anything like that. But they're the Woodward and Bernsteins of our time. Right. And um, hopefully they won't get corrupted by the allure of D.C. the way those that Woodward and Bernstein did. But so let's just give a little preview here because Schellenberger and then Taibbi had a live chat on this last night uh, talking about it. The, the Cyber Threat Intelligence League officially began. This is from Schellenberger. Officially began as a volunteer project of data scientists and defense and intelligence veterans, but whose tactics over time appear to have been absorbed into multiple official projects, including at DHS. Here we go. Homeland Security again. Um, and this is this is uh, um, what they're referencing is a trove of documents that have been made available to uh, Taibbi and Schellenberger and their colleagues. And. Uh, this is they're sort of summarizing and they're going to be providing in the coming days the details to substantiate what they're summarizing, what they got from these whistleblower or whistleblowers. The the um, Cyber Threat Intelligence League documents offer the missing link answers to key questions not addressed in the Twitter files and Facebook files. Combined, they offer a comprehensive picture of the birth of the anti disinformation, quote unquote, the anti disinformation sector or what we call the censorship industrial complex. The whistleblowers documents describe everything from the genesis of modern digital censorship programs to the role of the military and intel agencies, partnerships with civil society organizations and commercial media, and the use of sock puppet accounts and other offensive techniques. For example, he uh, a quotation here, lock your blank down, 
explains one document about creating, quote, your spy disguise. Another explains that while such activities overseas are typically done by the CIA and NSA and the Department of Defense, censorship efforts against Americans have to be done using private partners because the government doesn't have the legal authority. The same thing we saw from those election integrity partnership uh, uh, heads when it came to uh, censorship online uh, of Twitter and and other social media platforms. This is the same thing we're seeing again. Their admission, they know what they're doing is extra constitutional, which is to say unconstitutional. The whistleblower alleges the uh, league, uh, the leader of the league was a former British intelligence analyst who was in the room at the Obama White House in 2017 when she received the instructions to create a counter counter disinformation project to, quote, stop a repeat of 2016. Just okay, in case there's any good. confusion about the timing of this or the purpose of it, right? Yeah, so she was at Obama's White House. Okay. So she, uh, they let her in the White House. All right, and then she received instructions. This sounds so, like, spy novel. Receive instructions to create a counter disinformation project to stop a repeat of 2016. Uh, now, a large trove of new documents, including strategy documents, training videos, presentations, internal messages, reveal that in 2019, U.S. and British military and intelligence contractors, led by a former U.K. defense researcher named Sarah Jane Turp, developed the sweeping censorship framework. These contractors co-led this league, which partnered with CISA, which is in the Department of Homeland Security, in the spring of 2020. So now they're understanding it began earlier than they originally thought from the Twitter files. The league framework, or internal league Slack messages show Terp, the point person, her colleagues and officials from DHS and Facebook all working closely together in the censorship process. Uh he goes on to say, I mean, he may, may name some other names. I mean, this is, you know, quite involved, but you're starting to get the, the feel of it. Uh, the sum total of the documents, just in summary here from Schellenberger, the sum total of documents is a clear picture of a highly coordinated and sophisticated effort by the U.S. and British governments to build a domestic censorship effort and influence operations similar to the ones they have used in foreign countries. At one point, Terp, the point person, openly referenced her work in the background on social media issues related to the Arab Spring. Another time, the whistleblower said she expressed her own apparent surprise that she would ever use such tactics developed for foreign nationals against American citizens. Um, Over the next several days and weeks, writes Schellenberg, we we intend to present these documents to congressional investigators and we'll make public all the documents while we can also... Uh, we can, while also protecting the identity of the whistleblower and other individuals who are not senior leaders or public figures. Uh, and they're now digging into all of those documents. But this is the top line. Taibi, writing over at his uh, substack, Racket News, he, he writes, I was initially dismissive of this as a news story, as were a few industry experts I consulted. The key figures in the group, British data scientist, former defense researcher named Sarah Jane Turp, we just mentioned, and a Navy technologist named Pablo Brewer were not roundly considered by my sources to be heavy hitters in the anti-disinformation world. However, once we got into the documents, we all realized they had tremendous significance. It wasn't just the League's virtual meetings and training sessions that were routinely attended by DHS and FBI officials, or that CISA, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, DHS, 
had Chris Krabs, who famously, as we brought you on the show, famously announced that the uh, to 60 Minutes, the election was the safest and securest election we ever had in 2020. He was the spokesmodel for that position. It wasn't just they were that all, all these individuals uh, were attending the training sessions by the league or that uh, Chris Krebs had announced the subunit, DHS subunit, was partnering with the group, the league, um, or even that the tactics were ultimately adopted, at least in part, by this sub-agency in DCS. No, the crucial element, writes Taibbi, is that the docs of the docs is that they show in great gory detail a side of the anti-disinformation universe until now mostly hidden from the public. While, while the Twitter files were important in confirming government involvement in defensive activities like censorship and deamplification, these files show how members were instructed in a wide range of offensive tactics, including everything from using burner phones to creating fake identities and sock puppet accounts to infiltrate domestic political groups. I mean, that's that's some heavy stuff. And uh, I, I, because it's complicated, it'll be waved off by uh, many but this is stuff that we're going to dig into as Taibbi and Schellenberger dig into it because, well, we, we, number one, it's just fundamental to be a free society that you're not living in an Ayn Rand novel, okay, dystopian Ayn Rand novel. Uh, number two, we know we have some idea based on, I don't know, the uh, exit polling about the Hunter Biden laptop and the impact that could have had on the 2020 election, the research of Harvard trained psychologist uh, Robert Epstein uh, into Google and how Google's manipulation of algorithm of the algorithms to produce search results on certain topics can move millions of votes, something that he's been researching going back to 2016 in that election. I mean, we know this has an impact on elections. Of course, the information that people can access or not access informs their understanding of what's happening and at whose hands it's happening. So, you know, talk all day long about um, voting machines and and vote by mail programs. And that's certainly part of the legitimate part of the conversation. But this is so central because it is ongoing 24-7. Right. And it's unconstitutional. And it is anathema to a free society. Could they pass this off as like opposition research for a candidate? Well, you can't do that right. if you're the federal government. Yeah, yeah I mean, right, it's I, illegal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, of course. I'm just thinking out loud of how they're going to because people are going to get caught and hopefully taken down for this. I'm hoping. Hope's Corey and Wood, Woodlawn, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. You know, this stuff has been hidden in plain sight. The Smith Munt, I think it's Munt, his last name is M-U-N-D-T. He put this thing together back in, uh, in the 40s, I believe, to try to stop this information from getting into the U.S., this uh, disinformation that the CIA was pushing. But then Barack Obama, the great Barack Obama, you know, he allowed this information to come in. So now we're being propagandized by the CIA. But it's being done in plain sight. Wikipedia, all of these online tools are just making it easier for these guys. But the question is, what is the American going to do? But the problem is the Americans are just lulled to sleep by this stuff. We're not awoke yet. Thanks for the call, Corey. Well, I mean, again, it's one thing, you know, Wikipedia is a private company. I mean, they can, uh, 
you know, propagandize as they see fit, as can uh, other private individuals and, and private actors. But you can't do it as an agent of the federal government. That's the, the, the bright red line. You can't do it if you're the federal government, and you can't do it if you're an agent of the federal government. And to me, uh, I'm a bit surprised, actually. We'll see in the coming days and weeks as more of this information, is, uh, the, the, what uh, Taibbi and Schellenberger got from this whistleblower is presented. But it would be malpractice for Republican presidential candidates in particular to not pick this up and force this into the conversation surrounding next year's election. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Uh, Dan and Amy, good morning. On uh, yesterday's program at the end, we talked about this uh, incident. A a Deadspin reporter named uh, Karen or Karen Phillips uh, wrote this piece going after this pre-adolescent Chiefs fan that he saw, I guess, while watching the Chiefs Raiders game this weekend because the the, the kid was uh, wearing a headdress, like a Native American headdress, along with apparent blackface, although he showed a picture with just half of his face. So he was actually wearing black and red, like the Chiefs' colors. Yeah. Um, anyway, that didn't matter. Uh, he went nuclear on the kid, as we said yesterday, sort of Nick Sandman 2.0 here. It takes a whole lot of disrespect. Uh, it takes a whole lot to disrespect two groups of people at once, wrote the adult, the alleged adult in this uh, situation. This is what happens when you ban books, stand against critical race theory, and try to erase centuries of hate. Yeah, that's what happens. You have a, 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 you have a five-year-old you know, show up to a Chiefs game wearing uh, Chiefs battle gear. That's what happens. The, the five-year-old doesn't even know what blackface is, and he wasn't in blackface. And a lot of grown men go to NFL games and college games and paint the team's colors on their face because that's what this was. But he took the angle where it was the, the blackface. Have you, you ever heard – everybody in Chicago has seen Bear Man at the Bears games, right. I mean, for example. Uh, for the idiots, uh, Phillips wrote, who mention uh, – in my mentions who are treating this as some harmless act because the other side of his face was painted red, I could make the argument that it makes it even worse. Y'all are the ones who hate Mexicans but wear sombreros on Cinco. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in D A and then a quick comment on our text line. If the NFL this is the Phillips going on, the Deadspin columnist, if the NFL had outlawed the chop at Chiefs games and been more aggressive in changing the team's name, we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. And just continue to prattle on while it isn't the league's responsibility to stop racism and hate from being taught in the home. They are a league that has relentlessly participated in prejudice. Also, uh, also CBS showed him multiple times. And this is the photo people chose to blast to create division. Uh, that's what um, uh, one wrote in response that, you know, had absolving the NFL. 
Uh, yeah. So C, so CBS blame CBS blame the NFL. First of all, let's just establish something because people are so bad at uh, detecting false choices. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL, CBS, Deadspin, they're on the same team. The NFL, it's not the NFL's job to uh, eradicate uh, hate in the home. You wouldn't know that from how the NFL has behaved over the last three years, would you? So the NFL is a completely left organization, like all major sports have become, maybe with the modest exception of hockey and golf. Modest, though. Close call. But they're gone. And obviously CBS. (laughs) I mean, mean, do I even have to talk about that? Any network... A news organization, of course. So this is left cannibalizing the left, despite the attempt by Phillips to sort of, oh, you know, suggest the NFL is some right wing organization that's suborning hate, so on and so forth. So let's just establish that so, so people don't fall in the trap of I'm with the NFL. No, you're not. If you're for if you're against any of this nonsense, then you're not with the NFL because they're with this nonsense. But uh, it turns out that uh, something interesting about uh, about the kid in question. Yeah. Should we say his name? Or I mean, well, people are reporting it. Yeah. Holden Armenta is his name. And guess uh, what? His mom took to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shannon Armenta took to Facebook. Just stop already. He is Native American. Yeah. Uh, it turns out, according to mom, that... Uh, his uh, grandfather uh, was of Native American extraction. And so um, the grandfather serving on the Santa Inez band of the Chumash Indians. I'm so glad you pronounced it instead of me. I was going to call it something different. <laughs> so there you go. But but even that um, leaves me a bit wanting on the topic because uh, even if he didn't have any native american heritage he didn't do anything wrong although again five-year-old kid to the nfl back to the nfl and these uh, sports franchises why i gave up my tickets uh years ago during the blm riots and will never buy season tickets again to any of these sports franchises at least so long as the leagues behave like they behave and then the uh, individual teams as well uh, interesting note, the Kansas City Chiefs did ban wearing Native American headdresses a few years ago. They banned them in 2020, and now there's pressure on them, including from this columnist at Deadspin, to ban the tomahawk chop as well. Ooh, be interesting to see. That. be interesting to see how the fans respond to that. And, and what are you going to do? So you're going to throw out everybody who wears uh, a headdress, uh, like this kid and his family, because he's not old enough to go to the games by himself. Because uh, he's five. Oh, oh, and then everybody who makes the chopping motion? Is that going to kick so him out? That's what the Chiefs are going to do? I don't think so. Uh, I think I think they established this rule to, you know, to, to satiate the mob temporarily, hoping they'd never have to deal with it, and now it's going to be front and center again, as is their name. Where's, where's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, even Taylor Swift, saying, "Hey, Taylor, you know, Swift. stop beating up on this kid and like, give, bring him to the next game, have him do the coin toss or do something, have him, you know, 
Well, that's what I would do if I was the owner of the Chiefs. That's what I would do for sure. Embrace this. I'm like, hey, you know what? That's enough. You're beating up on a five-year-old boy who doesn't even know you know policies that are in place, and he's just a kid who's also Native American who's wearing a headdress and painted face colors, and we, we love that you love our team. Come on in. Yeah, but again, as I mentioned yesterday, I mean, you have to understand what the left does, who the left is, what these identitarians do, including some that uh, are cowered on the center right by the same dynamic. Mascots and boogeymen. Mascots and boogeymen. Greta Thunberg, mascot, Nick Sandman, boogeyman. Chris in Arlington Heights. Hey, guys. just wanted to mention there's a, uh, an organization called NAGA, Native American Guardian Association, that actually pushes back against this type of, um, you know, pushback on, on, on people wearing Native American gear and so forth and mascots because in, in their eyes, they're honoring their ancestry by wearing this stuff and, and you should get them on because it's really it's really important it's, it's not the native americans at least not all native americans that are that are no of course not it's really the white liberals yeah yeah absolutely thanks for the call chris you know i mean there's been some that have taken to social media in the wake of this story getting uh, traction some uh, native americans say i'm a native american doesn't bother me but you know that's somebody who's rational and um, an adult and is not looking to score political points by excoriating a five-year-old. I mean, Phillips, this reporter, this Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, he claimed the boy had found a way to hate black people and the Native Americans at the same time. Wow, you're such an in-depth reporter. Give me a break. Robert Bloomingdale. Hey, guys, how you doing? You know, the little boy... The Atlanta Braves, the Kansas City Chiefs, and even our, our Line 9 Blackhawks. My bottom line, the radical left needs to get a grip and get a life. What do you think? Yeah, well, thanks for the call. Uh, they do. That's not going to happen anytime soon. By the way, I also think that uh, those uh, L.A. or, excuse me, Las Vegas Raiders cheerleaders who took a picture with Holden. Mm-hmm. There's a picture online, uh, Daily Mail has it. Oh, I guess a mom posted it online. A uh, picture with four Raiders cheerleaders uh, and Holden in his yeah, uh, full battle it. dress. Mm-hmm. Those those Raiders cheerleaders should be suspended too. Or targeted for elimination by Deadspin. That for... kid was having a good day, man, up until that reporter tried to oust him as a racist. Well, those cheerleaders are, those are, cheerleaders are those, having fun. Their cheerleaders are accomplices to racism. White Even supremacy. though two are black, doesn't uh, matter. George in Naperville. Yeah, Dan. They should leave dress up to the transvestite community. They're the magical people and the prof- professionals in this category. All right, George. Yeah, speaking of uh, mascots. Well, you don't like it, though when men wear jerseys, like players' jerseys to games, right? Uh, I have rules about that. I don't. I don't. Kids can do it though. I don't like it generally. There's a couple of things I. Yes, adults. What do you tolerate? What it's not just men. Numbers. It's adults. Yeah. yeah. So one is you can't have your name on the back of the jersey. I have one of those. Okay, go on. Yeah. Um, uh, number two <laughs> is the, linebacker. Uh, the player whose jersey you're wearing mm-hmm. 
can't be smaller than you. This is particularly true at uh, Comiskey, where you would see a lot of um, rather uh, Rubenesque women wearing Scotty Pesednik jerseys, uh-huh. and it always bothered me. Okay. So do you, go, are... do you walk up to them and say, you know, they do make larger sizes? No, no, I'm not okay. uh, that guy. You know, that antagonistic. But I'm just, it's just, I'm, I'm just trying to promote rules that would uh, bring a, an element of decorum no, to the outings. Right. That's mm. all. You know, trying to help mint better fans. So he better, was able to dress fans. I'm sorry for interrupting, but he was able to wear that headdress into the game because it was in Vegas. It's a Raiders game, right? But if you wear a, you can't, are you, do they try and take it away from you if you wear a headdress at the Kansas City Chiefs game? Well, I don't know. That seems, well, I don't know. Rich in Indian Head Park. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Now, I've seen pictures of this little boy uh, with the so-called blackface. And then I've also uh, uh, pulled up some pictures of uh, these big white uh, linemen who have this blackface on, too. Should uh, should they ban uh, the uh, black under the eyes of yeah, the uh, eye white black. players in the NFL? Yeah, right. Thanks for the call, Rich. Well, we talked about this yesterday, oh, too, because there was a story out of La Jolla, California, where a high school kid uh, had uh, eye black on and sort of extended it the way that you see NFL players doing it to make it almost like a mask uh, in support of the – he was a grade school kid in support of a high school team at a high school football game – and he gets uh, whistled in days after the uh, game and suspended for suspended. racial insensitivity. That's that's again. Any, this is this is that's why the story the story is like. Don't we have better things to worry about? But in a, but in a sense, it's it's a small thing that's indicative of big cultural rot, and thus the need to discuss it. And again, he wasn't in blackface. He just it looked like bat wings underneath his eye, exactly like NFL and collegiate players do during nobody, games. Nobody is going around purposefully in blackface to ridicule black people other than maybe uh, Justin Trudeau and Ralph Northam. I was just um, Those are, you yeah, know, they, so... Have they reacted to these stories, Dan? Adult, uh, male, honky... Dem socialist politicians are the only ones who still wear blackface in America for the purposes of ridiculing black people. So I guess maybe we should start from that baseline. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, the poster boy for effective altruism, been convicted of multi billion dollar fraud. He's also the subject of a book that came out uh, earlier this year from Michael Lewis called Going Infinite. You know, Michael Lewis, Blindside, right. uh, Liars Poker. Moneyball, that Michael Lewis. Hmm. And this, of course, comes uh, on the heels uh, a few years earlier of uh, another multi-billion dollar fraud 
That would be Bernie Madoff and family. And um, in part, not completely, but um, in significant part, especially in Madoff's case, the uh, victims were also the greatest cheerleaders, the elites. That's the subject of a piece by Stan Voiger, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute over at Foreign Policy, foreignpolicy.com. Why did America's elite keep falling for crypto frauds? Even experienced journalists got suckered by Sam Bankman-Fried. Well, that's is that a Fox Butterfield moment? Even experienced journalists got suckered? Well, How about, of course, experienced yeah, journalists yeah. got suckered? Why did America's elite keep falling for crypto frauds? Let me, let me hazard a guess. Um, because they're overeducated, trend-sucking dilettantes who spend all their times navel-gazing over their own moral superiority? Yeah, or that, yeah. Could that be why? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's see if I'm close. Stan Voiger from American Enterprise Institute joins us now. Stan, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. So you can uh, in, you can probably pick up on how much um, empathy I have for experienced journalists and uh, other so-called elites as it pertains to Sam Bankman-Fried. About much as about as much empathy as he has for people that he defrauded, apparently. So um, what's your vision or view in terms of why so many uh, bought this latest scam, hook, line, and sinker? Well, I think there are two groups we should really distinguish. So one, right, there's people who put money into his crypto exchange, uh, which in many cases are relatively small retail investors. Yes. That's not really the group of people that I, that I wrote about, right? That's just the people, you know, they see a bubble, they try to write it, they lose some money, yeah, whatever. Right. It's unfortunate, but that, that, that happens. Uh, I, I think the the Bengman Fried case stands apart because he got very good press, tons of attention from politicians, and now, as you mentioned, there's a Michael Lewis book that's basically a geography. It's super positive. Um, you know, it starts out with a chapter where he, he writes about Bengman Fried, and throughout the entire chapter, Bengman Fried is just behaving like a jackass. He doesn't show up to anything. When he's on calls, he's playing video games. And this is all framed as, you know, oh, well, look at how special he is. Um, and so, you know, the book kind of goes on like that. And then the end of the book, the real villain is revealed, which is, you know, how they put that guy who managed Enron after bankruptcy in charges um, of FTX to try to get some of the money back. Well, that guy is portrayed as the real villain because he's not listening to Bankman Freed enough about where the money is. Anyway, the book is incredible. And so, uh, you know, I try to explain a little bit why. You know, people like Michael Lewis or other commentators, you know, thinkers were, were so attracted to 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 Ben McFreed and his whole operation. Well, right, because he had Tom Brady and Giselle on board. I mean, what's cooler than that? Kevin Bacon. I mean. Yeah, well, well, that that one is easy to explain. That's just writing him large checks. I don't think I don't think that one requires much more than that. But didn't a lot of Hollywood stars invest in with him in cryptocurrency? Well, the mix of investing with him and just taking his money to do ads, right? I, I don't know that the fact that you're doing an ad means investing. I, I'm thinking more about exactly people like Michael Lewis or, you know, the politicians who hung out with him who, who are really attracted to something else you guys mentioned, which is effective well, altruism. Well, yeah. the, well, the, well, the politicians, they were getting checks, too, a lot of them on the Democrat that's side. Right. Hey, the, I, I, that's right. The, the, I was thinking more like, you know, like Tony Blair or Bill Clinton, right? They weren't yeah, yeah, getting yeah. Yeah. Campaign donations anymore. You know, the, the older statesmen. 
Um, yeah, for sure. There are a bunch of members of Congress who are just getting checked. Yeah. Um, that was easy. Right, right. So a, lot of, a lot of cases are easy to explain because people just, a lot of people are getting checked. <laughs> Well, right, but but I mean, but so, but the the uh, case with uh, Michael Lewis and others is because, you know, because they're empty-headed ideologues. Uh, I mean, even though Michael Lewis is a talented writer, um, he's a man of the left, and uh, they bought this effective altruism uh, cover story that Bankman Freed used to rape and pillage. So that's why, because they effective altruism. Oh, finally, somebody who's uh, so selfless that he's uh, he's giving up meat because it because he doesn't want to contribute to animal suffering and so on and so forth. It's all this sentimentality that ushers in the barbarism. And uh, they're on board for that. That's right. And it has a it has a thin veneer of, you know, moral philosophy. Right. It's not just saying I'm vegan. It's no, no. I'm coming up with a complicated scheme. I'm going to make a lot of money, and then I'm going to use that money not, you know, for my own purposes, but to address the, the long-term existential risks caused by artificial intelligence. Right? That kind of that kind of that kind of scheme, and I think that that was attractive to people. Then Beckman Fried comes from this, you know, sort of elite academic family, and you know, a lot of the a number of folks at FTX uh, did as well, and so I think that also gave them sort of a, a layer of credibility that he wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think that explains some of the some of the coverage, which to this day remains surprisingly positive for really one of the, the great prosperous in history. Well, how well, did he get away f- with this for so long? Was it because he was contributing well, he get, to Democratic so, candidates? No. He did, to be clear, he didn't get away with it for that long, right? <laughs> the big run-up is in 21. And then, you know, by, he, he's already been sentenced. That's that's not normally how the justice system operates. So, in fairness, he didn't get get, get away with it for that long. He got away with it on a massive scale, and to this day, I think the press coverage is reasonably positive. The way he got away with it while the scheme was running was the way people get away with with Ponzi schemes, right? As long as there's enough money coming in, new money yeah. coming in, uh, you know, and and as long as your people don't realize that your accounting is all fake, you can just keep running the scheme. But he, but. Matt, I've got away with it for much longer. Oh, yeah. Well, because, right, because it was a much more sort of stable environment in which he was operating and people not pulling pulling their money because of the stable 12, 15 percent returns, you know, over time. I mean, it's just a completely different uh-huh. dynamic as opposed to sort of the, right. the Wild West with crypto. But I, I love the uh, some of the comments, too, just this idea like he's one of us, which you were getting to. You mentioned Matt Iglesias, who's sort of a celebrated intellect of sorts of on the left center left but i would say left uh you know he basically his mom is one of these you know his mom and dad at stanford and you know they're they're one of us they're in this effective altruism uh uh with you know they're there's they're simpatico with effective altruism and these are our people kind of thing yeah that's right and so i do think that that explains a good chunk of it coverage because that that movement has really become what I, I don't think you're you're being unfair about the the sort of excessive parts of that movement right which it started out on some level as kind of cost benefit analysis you know like is it better to build a sewage system or to give people malaria nets which you know like that seems like a reasonable thing to think about uh, but now it's become all this synthesizing about existential risks in the long-term future and of course there you know you just you got the right. You, you get the right. Your hobby for so it doesn't really, you know, and and it's it's become fairly detached from reality, I think, but still dressed up in these in these uh, in these 
in these clothes of, you know, look at us deep thinkers of moral philosophy, which is, you know, and as it turned out here, was not very productive. Um, and of course, you know, just last week, we saw another example of the effect of altruism, uh, you know, trying to trying to get involved in some action when the CEO of OpenAI was, I don't know if you saw this, was Sam Altman, yeah. By, Sam Altman, exactly, by his board, uh, dominated by, by effective altruists, because they also, they had, you know, figured out, okay, we need to, we need to stop this because uh, artificial intelligence is so good now, it's going to destroy the, the world, which really, you know, like, to, to, to think you know that, you know, those, to think you're able to make those kinds of forecasts with any kind of certainty requires a, a certain level of Self-confidence is a generous way to describe it. And they didn't really contemplate that the uh, basically 90 percent of the employees would threaten to quit if they didn't reinstate Altman. So now the board's gone and the employees and Altman are back, which is a very interesting development, too. At some point, you know, hard headedness has to kick in. Uh, but, um, you know, usually there's some casualties when you're talking about these elites. You know, part of it, too, it also seems to me is. Uh, speaking of the hubris, which is just uh, unmeasurable, um, the uh, we're smart people. I, I, I'm a I'm an actor. I'm um, I'm an academic. Uh, I've made a bunch of money in one sector or another, so I know everything about everything. And this is the new cool thing. And um, these are our people. And so I'm in. That's the level of analysis. Yeah, I think that's right. And you know, like. I don't know, like, I, I'm a big Tom Brady fan, but, you know, like, like I got to understand if he, you know, he's going to show up in an ad if someone gives him enough money. Like, that's fine. Like, whatever. He's a football player. It's like, you know. Um, I, I, I agree with you that when you're portraying yourself as really a true expert and, you know, deep thinker, that's where the standard should really be quite different. Um, and and I, I agree with you that that behavior has been has been pretty bad. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, one good thing about the, the Bank of Creek case is there, 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 there have been consequences for people, which of course is not always the case, right? Bank of right. is presumably going to federal prison for a long time. Uh, his parents, who allegedly benefited financially from FTX quite substantially, despite, you know, their, their background in moral philosophy, uh, I believe they are, <laughs> you know, a, approaching financial dire straits and so, you know, at least in this case, they're, they're the, hopefully it creates incentives that, that let people reconsider uh, their behavior and their, their, yeah. you know, their no. self-image in the future. Yeah. But these same people, I will One bet you dollars. Hope. One yeah, I, always hope. I'll bet you dollars to donuts, though, these same people will be unchastened and fully on board for the next uh, iteration of Tulip Mania. Uh, I mean, I would bet you dollars to donuts on that. But anyway, Stan Voiger, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, his piece, Why Did America's Elite Keep Falling for Crypto Frauds, over at foreignpolicy.com. Stan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Of course. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This week, uh, we finally are here. We finally have climaxed with this segment. Uh, This is a story actually from a couple of years ago, but the uh, police cam video is recent. And this is an incident at Tybee Island Beach in Georgia from 2021 where uh, police were called to respond to uh, uh, dubious activity on the beach by uh, a woman. And uh, this is how that went. 
There was nobody. I was just sitting on my town. Nobody was around me. Okay, and you were over at the beach. Like I was, I was near the water. Near the water. Yeah. Okay. What did I do? What did I do? So apparently you were masturbating on the beach. Oh boy. Hmm. Yeah. Who saw that? Me? I mean, a couple people. No, they did. That's that's not true. Why would they call us? Nobody, nobody was around. It was an anonymous call. Is yeah. this one of my buddies? Okay, yeah. one of my buddies. No, it's, it's not one of your buddies. It's a family. Okay, look, let me sh- no, uh, let me show you what I did. Oh no, don't tempt me, please, okay. girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, no, in the bag? Girlfriend, get off the ground. No. Because if I look through, I mean, if you can open it and can I see the contents inside the bag? Yes. Okay. I don't. I don't really understand what y'all. Are. We're, we're just here because someone called and we're this, very concerned. Yeah. Okay, this is really highly offensive to me. I got it. I got you. And that's why I'm trying to figure it's it out. Okay. It's my vibrator, but I just put it in my... I was sitting on the beach, and I just... Just... Okay. okay do I need... Do I get a ticket? <laughs> so, so, you did have a vibrator. Listen, I was sitting on the water like this, and I just put mm-hmm. it in there, and it was covered up, and I just had an orgasm. I'm sorry. I was stressed out. I is got that you. It? Okay. Just hang tight for me. I'm sorry. Nobody <laughs> saw me. Stress okay. relief. Love it. I mean, if nobody saw them, they wouldn't have called, right? Don't do this to me. Are you serious? A family saw it. They had kids. What? There was nobody around me. It's a bullet style. It's a pocket rocket, dude. Oh, Jesus. No, you're going through it. You're logging everything. Uh, my favorite part was the 275-pound cop who holding the vibrator in his hand describing what it is to a female cop who you heard giggle at the end. But, uh, you know, I understand. Um, it's a very controversial issue because... Uh, you know, masturbation is a victimless crime. Oh, well, uh, here's the deal. I'm glad mm-hmm. she got arrested because when we're talking about gender equality, I mean, if a man was doing that, he'd be arrested. So unless I'm it was glad- a uh, unless it was like a, a masturbating uh, amenable beach. You know, we have nude beaches. I don't know. Yeah, But the, I mean, girlfriend, yeah. don't get down on the ground and show them what you did. Oh, dear Lord. But I also, was just I was doing this. Yeah, I, it's mm-hmm. just it's a stress release. I'm stressed. But uh, here's two things. Is she a porn star now, or is she spokesperson for Gwyneth Paltrow's vibrator line? Uh, true. What, what do they call it? Bu- bullet? Is that what the guy said? What yeah, it, what, bullet. And, and you apparently have another term for it? No, it's a call also called the pocket rocket. Is it? Tell well, us more. Well, I, I don't have one, so thank you very oh, much boy. for asking. But you yeah, didn't well. ask, but I disclosed that anyway. But still, because Gwyneth Paltrow is selling one for Christmas. That's a real stocking stuffer. Uh, yeah, but I, do, I was also I do surprised like the, too that this wasn't Florida. This was Georgia. Georgia. I I do like that she uh, offered a what? complete denial uh, before uh, being willing to show the officers exactly what she did, uh, while conceding that she uh, finished, if you will. Oh gosh. So um, yeah, um, you know. Quite the body cam video, quite the day at work. Heads up on the beach, yeah. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. 
If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, the other day, uh, Miguel Cardona, he is the Secretary of the Department of Education, was uh, trying to communicate how uh, the Department of Education, Federal Department of Education, is uh, there to be a partner with uh, state governments. And he had uh, this to say, try to drive the point home. You know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's, there are resources there. There's technical assistance there. And there's a playbook that could support the work you're doing. Count on us as a partner in this. Our students are waiting. Thank you. Oh, boy. So, of course, um, Reagan said um, the nine most dangerous words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. He was deriding the government, not extolling it as Cardona did there. But Right, but I mean, this guy's in charge of making, he's making sure our kids get a quality education and he doesn't even know what Ronald Reagan said. I mean, the whole point of Ronald Reagan's point was limited government. And he's like, oh, no, uh, government's yeah. good. Come in. So uh, he's a, a mimbo. Bit a, bit of a reading comp problem with your secretary of education. Uh, so um, bigger boneheads, Cardona or KJP, the White House spokeshuman, who had uh, this to say about uh, the economy in a question from Peter Ducey. <laughs> wow, oh, she sings. Not that. That was not KJP. <laughs> no, you're getting hacked. Uh, KJP in response to a question from Peter Ducey about if things are going so well, why don't the American people realize it? Lower costs. But why do you think it is that when you say the economy is improving and President Biden says the economy is improving, that a majority of Americans outside of this building are not buying it? So here's the thing. When we walked into this administration, the economy was on a tailspin. A tailspin. That is the fact. Because of the last administration, because of the Trump administration, because of how they dealt with, uh, with d- dealt with COVID and the pandemic, because they didn't have a comprehensive plan. The president came in, he passed the American Rescue Plan, which was able to get the economy back on its feet, which was able to open up small businesses. Well, small businesses were able to open up, schools were able to open up, and we understand what Americans have been. Um, uh, Javier Amile is apparently coming to town to meet with uh, Biden staff. Gosh, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for a discussion on economic policy between KJP and the newly minted Argentinian president. It's just so entertaining. Um, point of order, of course, is uh, the policies that I opposed, for example, lockdowns that were initiated by state governments under President Trump. And he bears some responsibility for because he didn't push back as hard as he should have on said policies. But they were those policies were glorified and uh, were uh, given full throated support from Biden and the entire Democrat Socialist Party, who, of course, wanted anything that was command control oriented to be enacted. But again, these are, you know, points of order that uh, the left attempts to gloss over. For more on all this and more, please be joined by Steve Moore, Godzilla author and economist. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. 
Well, good morning, guys. And, and look, I feel compelled to respond to uh, KGJP because what she said was so blatantly false and it's insulting, actually, because mm-hmm. if you look at the last um, six months that Trump was in office, he didn't hand over a disaster. The economy grew by 11 percent in the last six months because we opened up the economy by June of 2020 and the economy was roared back. In fact, uh, you know, we, we had very, very high growth. We had people going back on the job and we had the we had the vaccine that had come out. Now, here's an amazing statistic. And I bet, you know, I didn't believe this when I was told this a couple of days ago. So I went back and, and looked the statistics, and it absolutely is true. Did you guys know that more people died of COVID during, uh, under Biden than under Trump? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing, given the fact that, you know, we had the, we had the vaccine and so on. So how dare he say, oh, gosh, I handled the, the, you know, I handled the virus so well and he was incompetent. No, we had the economy roaring and the economy slowed down. The economy slowed down rapidly when Biden came in with his massive uh, trillions of dollars of spending. So it just is absolutely untrue that, uh, you know, we handed off a, a economy that was in ruins. He ruined it with the with the six trillion dollars of spending we couldn't afford. Uh, He's uh, doing similarly with the auto industry. That's according to 3,900 car dealers across the country who sent a letter yesterday saying uh, EVs are piling up unsold on their lots and we'd like some relief from the mandate Uh, The dealers have uh, say they have 103 days supply of EVs compared to 56 days for all cars. And um, there it's uh, you know, the mandates are. Uh, negatively impacting their business because consumer demand isn't what, uh, imagine that, the central planners anticipated. Yeah, so I gave a talk, I think it was about 10 days ago, to the Auto Dealers Association. These are the people who actually have the cars in the showrooms and on the lots. And I I say 80% of the you know, men and women are running these, you know, they, they've got thousands and thousands of cars on their last They They all came up to me and said, we can't get rid of the the uh, EVs. People aren't buying them. And, you know, they, the factories uh, keep sending them cars that people don't want to buy. And by the way, I'm not against EVs. You know, Teslas are amazing cars. You put your foot on the accelerator. It's an amazing feeling. But, um, you know, a lot, for a lot of reasons, Americans don't want to buy them. And so, you know, you're, you're, you've basically got a situation now. I mean, think about this. First of all, we've given billions and billions of dollars of federal tax dollars to the car companies to build the EVs, right, uh, and all the loan programs. Then we pay people, we bribe people with a $7,500 check if they will buy a Tesla or, you know, an EV. Then many states, I don't know if Illinois has one of these, but many states also have incentive plans that kick in another $2,500 to $5,000. So they're basically paying you $10,000 by the car. Then if you notice this, Amy, if you go to like a shopping mall or something, all the best parking spaces are for the EVs, you know, because, you know, you're environmentally conscious. So you get to park in the first row. So you get park there anyway. <laughs> I do. I'm like, what are they going to ticket me? I don't have a hybrid. How do they know that? Screw They're going to tell you. <laughs> They're coming after you, Amy. But anyway, my point is, all these incentives, we're just throwing money at them, and people still aren't buying these cars. Less than 10% of new car sales are electric vehicles. Meanwhile, New Jersey, I don't know if it's happened in Illinois yet, New Jersey is now a state like California that's basically going to say, hey, after 2000, uh, I don't know, 28 or something like that, it's going to be illegal to buy, an illegal to buy a car unless it's an EV. 
I don't know. Well, Are that's going that to happen in all blue states, I'm sure, eventually, especially yeah, since yeah. you're saying that they're piling up on the lots. I mean, they have to push their oh, product at some point in time. Oh, so, yeah, that's the other point. I was. Yeah, thank you, Amy. You're exactly right. So now what's happening, they're already losing like $20,000 per EV that they're selling, and now they have to lower the price because, you know, if you've got a surplus or something, the only way you can get them on a lot is – I mean, these, these car companies are going to take a massive, massive loss, and you know what's coming next. Right, uh, Dan. What's next? Oh, yeah, we have to bail out these companies because they're losing so much money. Oh, and/or force consumers to buy EVs by making those the only option. Yeah, well, of course, and that's why you know, pretty soon, you know, hold on to your gas cars, folks. You know, even if it has hundred thousand miles, to be very valuable because you know those are the only ones you'll be able to buy. Like, whatever happened to pro-choice? I mean, I, Amy, I thought the left believed in pro-choice, freedom to choose. But you don't have a freedom to choose what car you buy? Not with vaccine mandates or with vehicles. Hey, you said something the other day on uh, Fox News. I watched you about, yeah. you know, uh-huh. we have student loan debt forgiveness plans. What about a credit card yes. debt forgiveness yes. plan? Because I yeah, saw I got a like lot 2024 of election coming up. Yes, I got a lot of reaction when I said that. And people, you know, look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Dan, you know me for a long time, but. I do have a conspiracy theory that I that I think uh, could well be the truth, which is it's going to be we're going to get about two months before the election, like seven, eight months from now or so. And um, all of a sudden, Joe Biden is going to say, hey, I've got a deal for you. If you reelect me, I am going to forgive a trillion dollars of your credit card debt and the taxpayers will pay for it. Now, you may say that's a crazy idea, but he did it with student loans. Hmm. I mean, I you know I wouldn't put anything past him. I mean, that's possible. But if he wants to, if he wants to to promote that idea, go ahead. I mean, I, I don't think the student loan idea is um, a game changer to their benefit. And I, I think there's, I think there's still actually. Well, a lot I don't of, know. You know, Dan, I think there's still, I think maybe, there's still a lot of commonsensical right. people in at yeah. least in states that have not completely lost their minds yeah. that say, <laughs> you know, uh, th- that understand the game that's being played there. Yeah, but and they the, the I arbitrary know, but nature they, of it. Yeah, no, I hope you're right about that, that Americans are on the scam. But I know a lot of young people who's, oh, I'm for the Democrats. They're yeah. going to wipe out, you know, well, $4,000 of my student loan debt. Yeah, you know, I hear it's free money, I, Dan. It's free. I'm, they all have to do get them to the polling place. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And here's the good news is that uh, the young people that we obsess about so much don't decide elections. So let's yeah, keep that proportionality in mind. Um, I want to, But on this EV matter and, you know, the the whole eco-supremacy, uh, end-of-times business. You know, we have this COP28 conference kicking off in uh, in Dubai, United. And, and this is after <laughs> – I just love this, too. <laughs> I mean, talk about some people who know how to manipulate the uh, white leftists of the West, uh, a lot of these uh, Arab theocrats. So uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, announced <laughs> this spring they plan huge oil and gas expansion – in advance of being the host of the COP28 conference <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and by the way, the biggest polluter on the planet, of course, China, is not going this year because mm. they're too busy building gold plants. Meanwhile, they're going to have Meanwhile, they don't have enough airports for all the private planes that are flying in. You know, I mean, this is joke. And by the way, what number is this? Twenty-eight. And we've had yeah. twenty-eight of these climate change conferences. And by the way, there's more more carbon being uh, you know emitted into the atmosphere. And you know, the the in 2023, the consumption of oil, gas, and coal and fossil fuels will be higher than any time in human history. Are they making one bit of difference? Right. 
uh, well, the answer is what we know from the science, <laughs> not that anybody cares about it with respect on the left with respect to their um, their religion here. But I think we all know the answer to that in terms of any evidentiary support. Oh, boy. Now we've upset the dog. The dogs are a barking. Uh, yeah, even uh, my dog agrees with you on that one. That's good. It's no, unanimous. Like, they do, these guys, all they do is sit around the table, drink champagne, and can't eat caviar and lobster, and talk about how concerned they are about the planet. And they've been exactly. doing that 28 times now. And, and they take pictures for social media, too. Come yeah, on. Yeah, well, That's who doesn't important. want a picture of Leo DiCaprio? Of course. Oh, yeah. although I, I do think, didn't Greta take a sailboat or something? One year she did. I want to talk about something that uh, is an existential threat uh, to the United States, and that's Big Sandwich. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is on is on the job. Uh, she is very concerned that um, the uh, private equity concern that bought a controlling stake in Jimmy John's and Arby's is looking to purchase Subway, um, and um, and it and that could create a sandwich shop monopoly. Yeah, they will. They're going to have a huge monopoly, and now the the uh, the, the cost of those Subway sandwiches is going to go up to fifteen, twenty, twenty-five dollars. Because you know you can't get a Subway sandwich anywhere. You know you can't. You know you have to. What you have to do is you have to take a bun. You know, have to cook a bun, and then you have to slap meat on it, and slap some cheese on it, and maybe some mayonnaise, and only Subway. And, uh, you know, uh, what's the other one, Jimmy John's? Well, they're the only ones who can really do that. They're going to have a complete monopoly over that industry. Right. Well, so this is why the Federal Trade Commission should investigate, should stop this unholy alliance. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, power. Yeah, maybe, maybe the three of us should maybe try to start a sandwich shop. We can compete it, with them, you know? Yeah. What uh, the heck will we call it? I don't want to, I don't want to have to work that hard. You know, I'd rather just have this cush radio gig. We're running a sandwich shop, any small business. That's too hard. Uh, Steve Moore, economist, Govzilla author. Thanks as always, Steve. Appreciate it. Okay, guys. Have a great week. Take care. You too, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Dan and Amy, good letter in the Wall Street Journal in response to uh, Senator Crocodilia's concern about a forthcoming sandwich shop monopoly. Uh, very, very creative. Uh, the uh, author writes, Baloney, it appears the senator has bitten off more than she can chew. Let us take a look at why the good senator wants to flog this turkey. At first glance, it appears she just wants to ham it up for the sake of PR. I suggest her argument slices both ways. She gets PR, but is it good PR? <laughs> Peel away the onion, and what you have is nothing more than grandstanding. Pepper her with salty comments, and she will wither. Her argument is a bit cheesy. And she clearly is in a pickle in her attempt to sandwich herself between righteous indignity and laughable rhetoric. Her time in the Senate would, one would think, be toast. Oh, very, very nice. And hopefully, hopefully at some point in the not-too-distant future, Krakajewia will be toast. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Marijuana moms versus mental health dad. What that really is, is the McHenry County State's Attorney versus some dopey leftist 
legislators like Kelly Cassidy that are addled on uh, marijuana business cash, campaign cash, I presume. It's the, celib- the celebratory nature of, of uh, widespread use of marijuana by some is bizarre to me. I know. There's uh, billboards up everywhere. It's, you know, the drug of choice, please. Peter Bach is a pulmonary physician at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. So he's a pretty serious person. Um, he wrote a piece in the journal a few years back that we referenced at the time trying to bring some sanity to this conversation and some uh, actual science and information about the costs and benefits amid all of the unrelenting celebration of the ushering in of legalizing weed and distributing licenses to the politically connected in, in Illinois and elsewhere. He writes, uh, actual medicines have research behind them, enumerating their benefits, characterizing their harms, ensuring the former supersedes the latter. Marijuana doesn't. It's a toxin, not a medicine. It impairs judgment and driving ability. It increases the risk of psychosis and schizophrenia. Smoking it damages the respiratory tract. A 2017 report from the National Academy of Medicine called the evidence for these harms, quote unquote, substantial. Now, as to the claims that are made, and they're made in the Tribune coverage of the story, too, because shoddy reporting, which is synonymous with Chicago media. Claims that marijuana relieves pain may be true, but the clinical studies that have been done compare it with a placebo, not even a pain reliever like ibuprofen. That's not the type of... That's not the type of rigorous evaluation we pursue for medications. What's more, every intoxicant would pass that sort of test because you don't experience pain as acutely when you're high. If weed is a pain reliever, so is Budweiser. And that's just despite the fact that um, 140,000 Illinoisans have gotten uh, curious prescriptions for marijuana to treat various conditions and ailments. Uh, He goes on to say, marijuana belongs in the same category as alcohol and tobacco, harmful products that adults can choose to enjoy. Interestingly, the liquor company Constellation Brands and tobacco conglomerate conglomerate Altria Group agree. Both have recently acquired large stakes in, in marijuana producers. Decades passed before we took on smoking and drinking with education, labeling, and other forms of regulation, but it worked. And deaths from lung, lung cancer, heart disease, and alcohol-associated accidents are in sharp decline. We need the same approach with marijuana. Acknowledging that it is not a medicine is a necessary first step. So that's, that, that's one of the biggest problems with this discussion is people like the uh, quote-unquote marijuana moms, Kelly Cassidy, and these other dimwits in Springfield, are dishonest. They're either ignorant or dishonest or some combination of the two. It's a dishonest discussion. You want to have a discussion about legalization, that's fine, but have a discussion on the merits as provided, for example, by Dr. Peter Bark, Dr. Peter Bach in uh, New York. And by the way, that's really what's at bar in this fight between McHenry County State Attorney Patrick Kennelly and the Springfield legislators labeling. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by the aforesaid McHenry County State's Attorney. Patrick Kennelly, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan and Amy, for having me on. 
So um, you want oh, well, you're you're uh, essentially compelling that uh, marijuana retail stores in McHenry County uh, post warnings about the mental health dangers associated with cannabis, as I were just detailed, actually, in that op ed from the doctor I mentioned. And uh, they say that you're demagoguing marijuana and uh, you're hearkening back to uh, shibboleths of a bygone era that uh, that were that have sort of racist overtones. Um, so, I mean, just give us your perspective on this uh, this spat between uh, you and those legislators. Yeah, I mean, everything that you said in the lead up to uh, our talk this morning is absolutely right. Marijuana has no medical applications, especially the cannabis that's being sold in these dispensaries. And the best that they can say is that it somehow treats these sort of nebulous and a lot of times dubious pain type of discomfort conditions. But as Dr. Bach says, it doesn't treat it any better than, let's say, Budweiser, because all it's doing is it's a huge dopamine dump right in your brain. And of course, when you're high on something, it's not going to hurt as bad. So following up on what Dr. Bach said, in 2023, there was a JAMA article, and it was a meta-analysis and systematic review, which is the gold standard of scientific literature. And it found that there is no difference between cannabis in terms of how it treats pain and the placebo, and it found that the more that patients had read about the medicinal qualities of marijuana who were given the placebo, the more their pain was actually reduced. So this is all a mental phenomenon, and what the, what the marijuana moms have said, especially in their letter to me, is, well, we've had all of these, experience for, these experiences for many of our constituents who have come in and talked to me and us about how well it has helped them with their pain conditions like fibromyalgia and IBS and things like that. I point to this study, and I say, look, it's probably true that these people are telling you the truth. It does help with their pain. The problem is it doesn't help any more than a placebo. So what's going on right now with the marijuana moms, and I think you hit the nail right on the head, is that this is just such an anti-scientific discussion that's going on. Irrespective of what you think about legalization, marijuana has significant downsides, and the marijuana industry's attempt to rebrand this as medicine so that it's not just popular among a subculture in the United States, but rather is popular amongst everybody and is fit for all day consumption is really what the problem is. It's the lies that the marijuana industry is telling us through the mouthpieces of the Illinois legislature. But there's got to be lots of money to be made. I mean, if state reps you know, are celebrating this and also you have the tobacco and the um, alcohol industry buying or trying to get into also grow and sell marijuana. It's, it's a billions and billions of dollar industry. I mean, I don't. I, hundreds of millions of dollars was made by the state last year. The county of McHenry has made millions of dollars off of marijuana. So, of course, it's an incredibly lucrative business, and that's why we're tolerating much of this misinformation. The difference between, let's say, marijuana and alcohol is everybody knows that alcohol is dangerous, and people at Budweiser are not advertising their products to say, this particular type of alcohol with this uh, alcohol percentage is good for PTSD or is good for depression. Well, and the, that's the, the thing that's so curious about this, too, how um, knee-jerk the reaction is, how defensive they are, because, I mean, you don't have the power to ban it unilaterally, and you're not attempting to. You're attempting to uh, uh, require the labeling, the warning labeling, that usually goes without much fanfare when it comes to other toxins, smoking and drinking, for example, alcohol and tobacco. But here they're just so rabid that they uh, go immediately to uh, an argument that you're essentially trying to uh, prohibit it. 
because you're requiring labeling that adds some transparency to the project. Yeah, I mean, mean. yes, no, thank you. The the labeling that we're asking for is the most anodyne type of labeling that you could possibly ask for. It's just basic information that's been recognized by all sorts of scientific institutions, including uh, the Surgeon General, the National Academy of Sciences, uh, the NIH. So it's basically that there is a link between marijuana and certain mental health disorders. The more you use and the younger you start, the worse the risk is, and the mental health dangers are psychosis or schizophrenia. Uh, anxiety, as well as depression, and then it's that the FDA has not approved cannabis as it's sold in the store to treat any medical condition. Both of those things are uh, unassailably true, and so the fact that, like you said, they're being so defensive and they're being so combative over what what is basic uh, consumer protection on, on the part of the McHenry County State's Attorney's Office is bizarre. Have you seen, have you had cases uh, that have come before uh, before you in the state attorney's office where you're uh, prosecuting people that um, uh, are arguing that uh, perhaps their, their defense is in part, because I've seen these cases, um, you know, cannabis-induced psychosis is why I committed this criminal act? So we've had multiple cases. Well, first of all, the mental health in McHenry County has begun uh, deteriorating significantly since 2020. So cases of anxiety, depression, our suicides have actually doubled in 2022. The most common drug found, and it's not alcohol, the most common substance found in the toxicology of the people that committed suicide was marijuana. Uh, We have multiple murders pending in McHenry County where the defense is cannabis-induced psychosis or where cannabis played a role, the most prominent of which was a case that we tried Last year, a guy named Bill Bishop, who was from Chicago, and he had he had mental health problems, but it didn't help that he poured a bunch of cannabis on it over the course of a night. Then he decides that he's going to take a drive to try to clear his head, makes it all the way to McHenry County, and he's listening to Howard Stern on the radio, who's interviewing David Spade. And apparently David Spade told him through the radio after he had been smoking cannabis all night that he needs to veer into oncoming traffic at 80 miles an hour. He ends up killing the driver of the car and the passenger of and who, who, who was a father of two, the passenger of the car is probably never going to leave the nursing home because of serious uh, traumatic brain injury as well as bodily injury that he suffered. So this is not an academic discussion. There's real consequences, uh, not only in terms of mental health, but also in terms of driving under the influence of cannabis. My first assistant, who was the number two in the office, was hit head-on with her three-year-old son in the back of a car by two stone drivers and almost killed. Um, so this is, uh, this is a personal issue for us. Well, right, so it's a, it's a PR which is, thing for. Oh. Well, it's just it's a it's a, but but I just want to so that, that's not uh, causation necessarily in some of in, whether in the suicides or the the reckless homicide, but but there's correlation and certainly there is impairment, like in the case of your first assistant being hit by those uh, by that driver that was stoned. So I mean, you know, again, why wouldn't we treat this the same way at minimum that we treat um, you know driving under the influence of alcohol? Right, and when it comes to the correlation, this is their favorite tactic. It's like, well, it's just correlation, and people are treating themselves. It's like, well, first of all, no. The only reason we know that tobacco causes lung cancer is because there's a correlation between people that smoke and lung cancer to a degree that we can say that it's causal. It's the same with marijuana. There was a recent huge study out of Denmark where they looked at all of the medical records in their national system over the last 30 years, and what they this is this is a study that 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 is is scientifically 
uh, pristine. And they found that 30% of cases of psychosis and schizophrenia in men could have been prevented had they not suffered from cannabis use disorder. So you need to really think about that and digest it. It means that 30 per, that perhaps 30% of the cases of schizophrenia, this debilitating condition that causes so much suffering and human misery in this country, could have been prevented if people had not smoked cannabis. And now we have an industry which is trying to get people to smoke cannabis all day, every single day in microdoses and otherwise to get energy to sleep, uh, to get up for work, to get creative, all the rest of it, and think about what that's going to do to our mental health. And the fact that the state of Illinois is not taking this more seriously because they're worried about a little guy in McHenry County killing the Golden Goose is insane. Well, why is, where's Matt in all this, Mothers Against Drunk Driving? I, don't, I, I have not had a discussion with them about this. I mean, I just feel like there should be, you know, because there's always a big push, PR push, like don't drive drunk, you know, get caught, blah, 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 blah. But there's nothing for driving impaired. No, well, that's, I mean, I don't know how much time we have, but that's another major problem with driving, with with, uh, cannabis legalization, and they knew it. So cannabis is hydrophobic, which means that it hates water. And what that means is that most of the THC after you smoke cannabis is out of your blood within a half hour. So the way that we... So if you're driving under the influence of alcohol, let's say, there's a correlation between the amount of alcohol that you drank and your intoxication. It's not the same with cannabis. There's not a correlation between the amount of THC in your blood and your level of intoxication. So if if I, let's say, leave the state's attorney's office today drunk because I've been drinking scotch in my office and I kill a family of five, they take me to the hospital and they draw my blood. They know what my uh, blood alcohol concentration level is, and that's what they can use to prosecute me. If I've been smoking cannabis all day and I leave and I kill a family of five, it's probably two hours before they take my blood. There's nothing in there. Police haven't had the opportunity to do field sobriety tests on me, which don't necessarily even work with regard to cannabis intoxication. And so then the family will come to the state's attorney's office and say, hey, what are we going to use to prosecute this person with? And I'm going to say, we're not going to have any evidence. Well, and the other thing, too, on this, we've talked to Alex Barrington, who's done a lot of research in this, wrote a book about it, uh, and others um, that are, are in this policy arena. And one of the other points that's made often, so we'll make it again, is that the cannabis that's being sold now, uh, the THC levels are 20x uh, what they were, you know, in when your mom and dad were uh, smoking a joint in, at Woodstock. Um, and so, you know, so just in terms of the intensity of the product, the the um, the, 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 the toxicity of the product, it is not what perhaps a lot of older people think of when they think of marijuana. No, this is not your mom and dad's marijuana. They've been breeding and hybridizing these strains to increase the THC concentration up to about 30%. The stuff that was available to me and my friends when we were in high school and college was about 6 to 7%. And what all the studies show is that the younger you start and or the higher concentration of cannabis that you use, the greater the risk in terms of mental health dangers. So where does this uh, spat between uh, you and those uh, Dem legislators go? I don't know. I mean, I, it's like I, it's, I don't take any of this stuff personally. At least I try not to. I've lived in this state my whole life. I've already uh, accepted I have sort of a fatalistic view on the prospects for the politics in uh, Illinois. But what I hope it does is that it raises awareness. But it raises awareness not only with regard to marijuana, but also how these laws are passed and who benefits from it. So Tory Hutchinson, so the, so the cannabis was passed because the Marijuana Policy Institute in D.C., Joby Cates, J.B. Pritzker's sister, is on the board. They go to these Illinois legislatures, the Mar- 
marijuana mom in Illinois, and they say, hey, will you guys run our national interests in Illinois? And they're just tickled pink by the fact that they've been selected by this high-powered D.C. firm to run their legislation through Illinois, which they do. They pass cannabis in one day. I mean, that's not enough debate. They didn't bring doctors in to have hearings and all the rest of it. They just pass it in, in uh, one day. Uh, and then this is what they said at the press conference. They said that Chris Lindsay from the Marijuana Policy Project wrote the bill, gave it to us, and then we passed it. Tori Hutchinson, who's one of the marijuana moms, is now the president and CEO of the Marijuana Policy Project. $630,000 was spent in Illinois. The marijuana moms benefited, with the exception of one, benefited from that money. And then Kelly Cassidy's wife goes and works as a vice president for an Illinois-based marijuana company months after the passage of the legislation. And it's just so mind-numbing, especially from these people who are the most sanctimonious group of legislatures in the state of Illinois, talking about injustices all the time, and yet they're the ones benefiting from the law. I mean, this is, so it's just the type of soft corruption that we've just come to accept in the state of Illinois. And it's enough. Yeah, Toy Hutchison, former state senator. Fun story about Toy Hutchison when she uh, recognized me uh, at, at, a, at a club. She came up and introduced herself as State Senator Toy Hutchison. Oh my God. Um, so I introduced myself as radio talk show host Dan Proctor. Right. That's, that's how <laughs> right. we all introduce ourselves as our title. <laughs> right, that, exactly. It gives, that's like, it, it gives you the mentality. Um, yeah, that's and, like a doctor insisting that, that's like a chiropractor, I should say, <laughs> insisting that you call him doctor. Patrick Kennelly is the McHenry County State's Attorney. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate you, and he joins us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There have been some developments uh, in the uh, Biden Inc. inquiry, at least uh, the inquiry being done by the House Oversight Committee, chaired by Jim Comer. Uh, Forthcoming testimony from both Jim, brother Jim, and son Hunter, uh, coming next month, uh, subpoenas issuing that would have Jim testify on December 6th and Hunter on December 13th. Uh, Republican representative from Michigan, Lisa McLean, was on with Maria Bartiroma yesterday to discuss this, what they're attempting to do and what they're still attempting to identify. Uh, one of those things, the linkage between money received and policy decisions made. It's incredible what your committee has been able to expose. So much information about these 20 shell companies that Joe Biden set up and his family set up while he was vice president. The uh, 176 suspicious activity reports, the witness testimony, of course, all indicating or suggesting that there could be some serious crime here like bribery or money laundering. Have you been able to identify any actual policy changes that Joe Biden made as a result of getting money from China? The short answer is no. That's what we're trying to get to right now. That's why Jamie Comer, or Chairman Comer, is requesting those documents that the FBI knew he had had 
um, those classified documents for 18 months and sat on those. What were in those documents? Because what Jamie Comer has been able to do is actually take a concept and actually have forensic data to connect the dots different than what happened, say, under the last administration where it was just a bunch of hearsay. That's why it's critical to have Hunter Biden come in and testify, James Biden come in and testify, and to get those classified documents because that's what we need to connect the dots, and that's what he's doing. Uh, assessing that uh, that approach by the House Oversight Committee, we're pleased to have Professor Alan Dershowitz, Emeritus Professor of Law at Harvard. His podcast is The Dersh Show, and it can be found on Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes. And he's got a new book coming uh, later next month, uh, right in, uh, in time for the holidays, actually, December 15th. The book, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. Professor Dershowitz, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, what, uh, what's your uh, assessment of what you heard from Representative McLean, what the House Oversight Committee is doing, and what approach they should take if they are able to get uh, Brother Jim and Son Hunter before their committee? This is a continuation of partisan weaponization by both sides of the criminal justice system. What we need is yet another special prosecutor, another independent counsel, to investigate the entire Biden family. It should not be done only by partisan Republicans or partisan Democrats, because nobody is going to believe the results of a conclusion done by a committee loaded with Republicans who, who are out to get uh, uh, you know, Biden, etc. cetera. Uh, but it, it's a very good special counsel. What I've suggested is this, that um, a group of uh, distinguished uh, uh, former judges, academics, recommend to Garland five names of people who are totally nonpartisan um, to be a special counsel and to look into the president. And when you look into the president, the special counsel has to be above reproach. It can't be somebody who Garland picked from the Justice Department the way uh, uh, the, the, the previous special counsel would pick, insiders. It has to be an outsider, and there has to be a report. Uh, there's too many smoking guns to avoid uh, appointing uh, this kind of independent uh, uh, investigator. And there's too much partisanship to allow the investigation to be done only by uh, the representatives of one party. And what about the the, uh, the the need? I mean, obviously, it would be nice uh, if you could connect that dot uh, money taken and specific action taken as a result of money received. But is that necessary to uh, to to make that connection in order to conclude that uh, the Bidens, including possibly the president, did something that was improper, if not illegal? No, it's not necessary. It, obviously, it would help in the court of public opinion. All that's necessary is that money be paid with the intention, with the expectation that some favorable treatment be given. It doesn't matter whether the treatment was in fact given, of course, if the treatment was given, then that's the best proof that it was intended. But um, again, I, I, I don't see that that's connected yet, uh, but that's what special counsel is supposed to do. There is probable cause here. There's enough to worry about. I'm a liberal Democrat. I hope nothing comes of this. I want to see Biden reelected. That's my personal view. But I also want to make sure that when I cast my vote, I know everything possible about the Biden family and about any connections between Hunter Biden and his father and um, uh, nefarious activities that may have occurred. 
Uh, every right, American but, has the right to full knowledge of that. Yeah, uh, speaking of Hunter Biden, uh, he said that he, he's only going to appear before the committee for a public hearing and not a deposition. What, what do you yep. make of this? Well, I think he's right. Um, I think all hearings should be public. I think everything should be public. I think Trump's trials should be public. I think we, the public, are being denied the right to see our justice system operate. And I don't see any reason why the uh, hearings shouldn't be public. Uh, the senators can ask their questions. They can, you know, obviously uh, posture. And, and Hunter Biden can answer his questions. What do they have to hide? Why not make it public? And so I would be very much in favor of making all all hearings public unless they involve national security classified material, in which case those portions should be kept private, but only those portions. Um, before we get to your book, a column in The Wall Street Journal by Joe Epstein, who we've had on the show many times, columnist and author, he um, says American Jews are politically homeless again. Uh, yeah. The uh, a combination of the anti-Semitism that is, uh, well, exists on the left in terms of the, the members of the Democrat caucus, like Tlaib and Omar, as well as what we're seeing in institutions controlled by the left, including your alma mater, uh, Harvard, at least, you know, where yeah. you taught. Um, and um, but then there's Trump on the right. And somehow uh, that's a bridge too far to consider, despite what you see happening within the Biden administration yeah. and particularly in a, a policy sense and within yeah. the larger institutions controlled by the left in America. Do you, you don't seem to feel that way. You, st you still find a home yeah. with the Democrats. No, no, I do feel that way. If Nikki Haley, for example, were to get the nomination of the Republican Party, I think a lot of Jews would be voting uh, for her. Uh, I, I like Joe Biden. Um, I plan to vote for him, but I don't like uh, Jamie Raskin. Um, I don't like um, uh, Senator Sanders. I don't like the squad. I don't like the hundreds of people within the Democratic administration who have called for unilateral ceasefire. There's an awful lot of uh, anti-Israel attitudes within the left of the Democratic Party. One reason I remain a Democrat, although I support the Republican policies on Israel generally, one reason I remain a Democrat is to can try to have influence uh, and try to marginalize uh, the Sanders. If you want to get me to be a Republican, it's very easy. Just nominate Sanders to be president, and I become a Republican that minute. Uh, so I'm not a you know dyed in the wool Democrat. I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a card carrying member. I just generally vote for liberal centrist policies. But I would never vote for a candidate like Sanders, so so who's adamantly against Israel or Jamie Raskin. And I'm more frightened of the Jamie Raskins because they're reasonable, they're rational. He's my former student. I like him as a person. But calling for a unilateral ceasefire at this point is to surrender to Hamas. And it just means Hamas will do it over and over and over again. Just to transition to my book, War Against the Jews, the thesis of the book is that Hamas has a policy. They actually call it the CNN policy. I call it the dead baby policy. It's very simple. They kill as many Jews as possible in Israel. They know that Israel will have to respond by going after the rockets, the tunnels, and the commanders. They hide these military uh, things in, in among civilians. They know Israel will, no matter how much care they take, will kill some civilians. And they're ready to parade the babies in front of CNN and the New York Times, who misreport what's going on, who blame these dead babies on Israel rather than on the, 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 the uh, Hamas. I'll give you an example. If I go into a bank to rob a bank and the police come in and start shooting at me and I take you as my hostage and I'm shooting from behind you and I'm killing people and the police aim at me, but they kill you by mistake. There isn't a 
legal system in the world that holds the policeman responsible for that killing. The hostage taker is responsible, just as Hamas is responsible for every single death of a human shield that takes place in Gaza. And the media just won't report that. If it bleeds, it leads. And so the dead babies are shown. Everybody sheds tears, as you should. And they blame it on Israel. And then Hamas wins. It wins the public relations war. And then just follow your shampoo. Uh, Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Hamas has been doing this now for 25 years without any stop. And they're going to do it again and again and again as long as the New York Times and CNN report only on the dead babies and not on the fact that it's all Hamas's responsibility. Let's get back to Biden, though. You don't think President Biden has gone back on his promise to fully support Israel? I mean, you know he had a secret meeting at the White House with staffers who were upset with him and a group of Muslim Americans, and he apologized for excessive skepticism over the number of Palestinian deaths. No, he even said, I'm sorry, I'm disappointed in myself. And you're still supporting him. He was totally dead, completely wrong. Um, The data about Hamas deaths are completely distorted. First of all, Hamas says that 15,000 people, suddenly the number jumped from 12, 15,000 people, but they themselves don't distinguish between combatants and non-combatants. For all we know, 10,000 of them could be combatants. And so, no, Biden should not have done that. In In my how many years, 60 years of voting for presidents since John Kennedy, I have never voted for a president with whom I have agreed 100%. I think that, in general, Biden has been pretty good on Israel. Do I wish he hadn't had that meeting? Yes. Do I wish he hadn't talked about um, a ceasefire? Do I wish he hadn't said that Israel shouldn't go into the South? Yeah, I wish all of those things. And I well, think Trump would be better on that issue. Um, well, well, but, well do you, uh, yeah, I mean, do you wish he would? Well, do you do you wish he wasn't de facto underrating the mullahs in Tehran with uh, the lack of enforcement Absolutely. of oil sanctions, with Absolutely. cash for hostages? Yes. So, I mean, yeah, but, I but, the, the, but that's the whole thing with with. I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to persuade you, but I'm going to push you a little bit. I mean, Bernie yeah, Sanders please. just says overtly what uh, the Biden administration is doing subtextually. Yeah, but I believe in a woman's right to choose. I believe in gay rights. I believe in reasonable climate control, reasonable gun control separation of church and state, um, a a liberal, not a progressive, but a liberal Supreme Court. And so I incline to vote Democrat because the Republicans don't agree with those issues. If I were living in England, I'd vote conservative because the British Conservative Party favors a woman's right to choose, favors gay rights, opposes capital punishment, um, does all the thing. And they're 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 the conservatives. I would vote for them in a minute. But in the Mm. United States, the conservative party has become uh, too obsessed with social and religious issues. So I, I could vote for uh, a, a Republican. As I said, I could vote for Nikki Haley. Um, I might be able to vote Who's for pro-life. Chris Christie yeah. and for D. And, yeah, no, I understand. Again, I don't get everything from any candidate. I could vote for DeSantis. I could vote for a lot of... I have a lot of trouble with uh, Trump, even though I represented him. I was his lawyer right. in front of the United States Senate, and I helped win his first impeachment case. But um, there are things about him which are difficult um, for any, for many Jews to vote uh, for. That speech he made in um, in, in, in in West Virginia or where, wherever it was. Um, there are other things as well. It's always going to be a mixed picture, and I'm not going to decide who to vote for until a year from now. But uh, as things now stand, my vote is still with Biden. But that could change if what? Biden were to 
with it withhold aid from Israel? No, then I couldn't vote for him. What's your assessment of the uh, the, the temporary pause for the hostages for prisoners exchange? Is that uh, is that the sensible uh, play for Israel to make? It's the only thing a democracy could do, but it's wrong. Um, I wish that every country in the world had said, I wrote it in the book in 1990 called Why Terrorism Works. I wish every country in the world had said, we will not negotiate with terrorists no matter what happens, no matter how many hostages they take. And that would reduce the number of hostages over time. But when people come crying to you, and you're the prime minister, about their family members, how do you resist that? So, again, compromise. Israel is doing something that hurts it. And, and you know, every day of a pause means more Israeli soldiers will die. Uh, because it means that Hamas strengthens its position. So I don't like the pause, and I certainly don't want to see a ceasefire. That would be a surrender. I, I hope that uh, Israel can you know, do two things at the same time, which are very difficult, get the hostages back and destroy Hamas. Um, you know, what Hamas did uh, on that day was the most brutal thing done to the Jewish community and to individual Jews since the Holocaust. And yet, the National Lawyers Guild and other despicable, hard-left, anti-American organizations not only defended but praised Hamas the day after they slaughtered these people before Israel sent a single person into the Gaza Strip. And 33 Harvard groups did that. And they're Democrats. So, you look, look I hate those Democrats. Well, um, so I wish speaking, I could make an easy choice. Speaking of Harvard... Uh, given yep. what Harvard has become, would you teach at Harvard if you had the opportunity today? Yeah, I would, and I would uh, state my views publicly. Look, I taught for 60, 50 years there. I never stated my public, private views in a classroom. I don't believe that's appropriate. I think teachers have to teach the students how to think, not what to think. But I'd be standing up to the administration. I'd be protesting in front of the president's office. But I wouldn't be a cowardly professor like so many of them are, or cowardly administrators just uh, kowtowing to pro-Hamas uh, Hitler youth, which is what these kids are. These kids are the equivalent of Hitler youth. People forget that students brought Hitler to power, University of Munich, University of Berlin, University of Heidelberg. Students, students brought the Ayatollah to power. People forget who took over the American embassy in 1979. Students. So we don't give students passes. If, if students become Hitler youth, we have to treat them that way. And, and we have to make sure we respond in the marketplace of ideas. Harvard is being investigated now by the Department of Education. I have now publicly volunteered to testify against Harvard, the university with which I've been affiliated for 60 years. I started there in 1964. I'm still emeritus professor. I will testify against Harvard because I know all the inner secrets. I know everything that went on there. I know the whole history of anti-Semitism, and I know what's going on today, and it's wrong. Professor Alan Dershowitz, Emeritus Professor of Law, Harvard. His podcast, The Dersh Show, can be found on Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes. And pick up his latest book, released on December 15th. But, of course, you can pre-order it. War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. Professor Dershowitz, thank you as always. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. 
Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.